welcome to Risk Roundup. The COVID-19 pandemic is accelerating the need for fundamentally altering the way we live, work, and operate. The scale, scope, complexity, and speed of the coming changes has no historical precedent and will fundamentally disrupt almost every component of a nation. Furthermore, the breadth, depth, and impact of these changes herald the transformation of entire interconnected and interdependent systems of social, socialization, education, innovation, production, management, governance, and more. While there is still time to define how this pandemic-driven transformation of human ecosystem will unfold, one thing is clear, the need for symbiosis in our post-COVID-19 world is very real. To discuss the need for mutualistic symbiosis in the post-COVID-19 world, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Anupam Saraf to this roundup. Professor Saraf is a systems thinker and thought leader at Symbiosis Institute of Computer Studies and research based in India. He's a future designer, recognized as a global expert on complex systems. He holds a doctorate in design sustainable systems and uh, from the Faculty of Mathematics and Natural Sciences of the Rieskundwijk Groningen, the Netherlands. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Welcome, Professor Saraf. We are delighted to have you on this roundup. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, Professor. So as the COVID-19 pandemic hits humanity, the systems, we, as we are witnessing, they are collapsing. While over the years, nation's evolution has been based on principles of competitiveness and that of the survival of the fittest, is that model and approach sustainable as we move forward in the post-COVID-19 world? Well, I think that's, that's a very important question that you are asking. I think what you are highlighting is basically that we as human beings have designed several systems, human-made systems, in order to carry out our affairs. And these human-made systems are the ones which we discover are failing us when we need them the most. So it's important to really examine what is it that we have done wrong in the design of these human-made systems? Let me give you an example. So the first system that we really saw that has completely failed us is our health system. And nothing could be exposed more starkly than during the pandemic. The whole idea of flattening the curve is basically because we don't have enough capacity to deal with the large amount of infections that would be coming out every day if we did not flatten the curve. So the idea of flattening the curve has been to slow down the infection rate enough that our hospitals will be able to cope with it. So what, why does this actually expose the failure of the health system? So I think firstly, we need to recognize that we don't have public health. What we have is hospitals, pharmacies, insurance. So therefore, we really don't talk about the fact that we as a community, we as a society, and we as a civilization need to all be healthy. We somehow feel that 
because of the way we have designed our system those who can have access are the ones who have money or the ones who have insurance or the ones who can actually afford to go to an hospital so we designed this entire health system as comprising of demand and supply driven access to hospitals medicines and healthcare that is not public health that is private health that is something which we have designed in order to make sure that only those who are privileged will have access to healthcare but that doesn't give us public health it doesn't protect the community it protects a few individuals and as we have seen here if you want to be protected now because it's a public health hazard everybody needs to do social distancing and that clearly is a failure of a human made system now i i'm on the i'm thinking about your response and i'm thinking what are the fundamental you know challenges that we see here you know in the healthcare system now healthcare what you're talking about that yes public and private you know how it should be protecting and all that i understand that but at the same time the what we are you know having across nations is not a healthcare system it is more like a disease care system so yes when you have a disease you you know need access to those uh, system so that you can take care of the disease which you know for most of the chronic diseases uh, it is for lifetime that you will need the support and for you know more acute diseases it would be on and off that you would need the support as you need it but when we are talking about health and wellness that is a responsibility of individual because if we pass on if we allow the governments or if we allow the systems to be responsible for our own health then we are you know losing the autonomy and human autonomy our ability and freedom to take you know decisions for our well-being ourselves then we would be losing that and we never want to give away that to any government or any system any external party you know to tell us to control us you know what we eat what we breathe what we drink how to be i mean how much uh, what to watch or you know any of those things that even collectively determines our well-being so we don't want to give away our control of our well-being health and wellness to any external third party irrespective of whether that is private or public now as far as the you know disease care system goes yes you know we need access to systems when there is a situation like this as we all are going through across nations and we need to develop the system in such a way that the systems are flexible and resistant and you know are able to very quickly adapt to the change coming you know needs or the changing needs and that is what we are witnessing right now that the systems are not able to cope up because you know our supply chains has been you know global and the supply chain you know is collapsing and that is the reason we are witnessing that most of the countries you know they are struggling with the personally protective equipment and uh, we are not able to provide the all such fundamental things 
which were very easy to provide to you know everybody else and we were able to buy it ourselves also but th those are becoming challenges because it is not the virus it's that the systems that shut down across nations and we all depended on china to give us all those you know uh, personally protective e equipment we were depending on those factories and those factories shut down so the supply shut down so that we have those are the challenges we are facing and we need to come up with proper way that every country in times like this we can produce our own you know equipment supplies whatever we need so we can meet the need of the communities but bigger question that i have is that in i mean we have made tremendous advances in ai we have made tremendous advances in internet of things and we have made very good advances in biosensor technology it was very easy to develop a system that we would have you know installed all over the world so if there is any outbreak we would have got a real time alert that would have given us information that yes there is an outbreak and we would have been able to immediately stop that you know and contain that but instead we are seeing that millions were able to move out of china go everywhere and this has spread it the way it has spread it and we are having a pandemic so our what problems to solve that is something we as a you know human species need to focus on because we obviously did not focus on the right problem and while the covid-19 pandemic has accelerated the need for redefining and redesigning systems where cyberspace needs to be at the center of all changes how do you see the coming systems transformation taking place or need to take place for us to be able to be in control of any challenges coming our way okay before i go to your question maybe i can respond to your comment on the public uh, health care system and private health care system perhaps a little long longer responses required please i think firstly let me highlight the fact that uh, you are right that one likes to be an autonomous being but we are not independent autonomous beings in the in a social world in a social world when we actually interact with others and create relationships the relationship becomes the autonomous part and it's and if somebody who is not a party to the relationship actually interferes in the relationship that becomes a third party so therefore when we actually go to somebody who provides us with healthcare whatever form that may be in there is a relationship we form with the healthcare provider and that relationship is critical to ensuring our health when we talk about living as a community unfortunately there are very few communities today we live in settlements not in communities and the difference really is a community is codependent settlements on the other hand individuals are completely autonomous and independent when there is a codependence then you try to protect the common interest of each other and it's important that we recognize what is our common interest because the foundation of every society or the foundation of every community lies in codependence or recognizing the common purpose which binds us together 
So if you and I engage in some uh, interaction where we have our own individual purposes and private purposes, and we don't care about any common purpose, then we actually lay the foundation of what is an exploitative or a parasitic system. On the other hand, if we actually come together for a common purpose, and when we understand what that common purpose is, we actually lay the foundation for a symbiotic relationship. So if we really look at the way in which we have designed, as you called it, the disease management system, rightfully so, I think it is important to recognize that this disease management system is not founded on a common uh, purpose of the participating actors. I'll give you, uh, you know, a story which perhaps you may have heard before. Peter Drucker, the, you know, gurus of management, uh, actually is said to have been invited by an, you know, charitable hospital in the United States in order to come up with a mission statement. So Peter Drucker, uh, when the trustees of this hospital called him, requested for some time. And then he, during this time that he was granted by the trustees, he went and sat in the hospital, observed the patients as they came in, observed how the reception treated them, then went up to the patients' rooms, went to the operation theaters, the ICU, talked to the nurses, talked to the janitors, talked to the patients and their relatives, went into the community, talked to the community and asked them about what they felt, uh, talked to several of the trustees. And then uh, after several weeks of actually having, you know, had conversations and observations with a huge number of people who had come together to interact with the hospital and with the community, he went back to the trustees and said, I am now ready to talk to you about your mission. So everybody was very excited and they said, okay, what is it? He said, before I actually start telling you about what the mission, your mission could be or should be, let me actually uh, ask each one of you what you see your hospital should be doing. And one by one, each trustee actually talked about what they felt the mission could be or should be. So one of them said, we should be the top hospital in the United States. Another one said, it should have the state of the art facilities. Another one said, we should have, you know, all the latest uh, gadgetry and artificial intelligence and cyber equipment and, you know, information systems which alert us. Another one said that let us actually ensure that we attract the best doctors from the best medical schools across the world uh, and so and so forth. Somebody said, you know, we should be a five star rooms and uh, our room should be equipped with television and entertainment systems and all kinds of monitoring equipment and so and so forth. So then Peter Drucker finally uh, after everybody was done, he got up and he said that, okay, I've now heard all of you. I have a question for you, he said. Who is it that you serve? 
who is your audience? And there was pin drop silence because none of these statements had actually identified who did they serve. And then he said that, you know, in all the people that I talked to, it seems to be quite apparent that those who you serve are the afflicted. Those who are afflicted with some ailment, they are the ones who come to you. What is their need when they come to you? Why do they come to you? So, and then he went on to explain that they come to you because they need assurance. You can't tell them that they're going to live, they're going to, you know, get well, but you can give them assurance. And that assurance is what they seek. The receptionist can give assurance, the janitor can give assurance, the nurse can give assurance, the doctor can give assurance. So they can actually know what is their role if they understand that the hospital's mission should be giving assurance or providing assurance to the afflicted. So when you understand this, then you recognize that the brilliant insight of this man, Peter Drucker, was to find what is the common purpose for which the community comes together with these medical professionals. And wherever our hospitals and healthcare systems have forgotten what is the common purpose for which they get together with their audience, we create an exploitative system. And therefore, I think it's important to recognize this when we talk about any system, whether it is healthcare system, food system, and uh, financial system, an employment system, or whatever system that we want to talk about. So if I were to now respond to your question in this context, where if you were to ask, uh, what role do I see for artificial intelligence and information systems and cyber systems to play a role in the system that will come out after the lockdown is over? Uh, I, would, I would say that, you know, these are uh, tools which can help us and support us to serve the audience that we serve. But I think what COVID-19 has very well exposed is we don't understand who we serve and that we don't understand what is the need of the audience that we need to serve. So even if we were to put in automation, and in fact, more so if we were to put automation without understanding this, we are actually creating a bigger disaster than the pandemic. So I think it will be extremely important for us to first ask the question in every system that is human made as to who is the audience that this human made system is serving and what is their need that for which they have come together? What is the common purpose that binds them together and how can we enable it? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with you and there is no dispute in our understanding the need for mutualistic symbiosis. And in fact, 
if you have noticed you know our risk group philosophy our founding philosophy is you know that and we have been promoting this very concept from the very beginning in first my in fact my first white paper was on the need for mutualistic symbiosis because we we are all connected individuals and entities across nations its government industries organizations and academia we are all connected we are all codependent on each other and every system every change you know we promote everything we say is you know based on that that we are all interconnected and even our risk that emerges they are all interconnected and if we want to really truly solve any problem or any risk then we need to understand what are the interconnected and interdependent risks irrespective of whether we are looking at cyberspace aquaspace geospace and space and especially the cyberspace internet has you know connected each of these spaces aquaspace geospace space and cyberspace and internet also has also connected individuals and entities across you know nations is government industries organizations and academia so what you are telling me is absolutely what risk group has been promoting for years and we are completely sold on that that you know we need to develop all the systems and at the core needs to be the need for you know mutualistic symbiosis because we are all codependent on each other and that is at the heart of you know what i am doing for years but the challenge here like you said is that yes hospitals you know have moved away from that the healthcare system which is a disease care system has moved away from that and so has all other you know systems that we have defined and designed over the years and as a result it is very important for us to understand how the changes from generation to generation of the uh, way we do things of the technology revolution has evolved us into our respective nations diversity and character and prosperity and success and culture and how they are all intertwined and interdependent and how the process of revolution and evolution continues to change what we see across nations today and what will be seen in the coming tomorrow so while we were moving towards digital age the covid-19 pandemic has accelerated the need for digitization of the systems so how do you see this evolving need shaping the digital system i mean you and i both agree that there is a need for mutualistic symbiosis but cyberspace has you know fundamentally shifted the way we can do things the way we can develop things and the way we can design systems so how do you see this evolution you know going forward and how would you see that the system the digital systems that we define now everything is going to be digital irrespective of what you know we try to do because everything will go through cyberspace and that is just the reality that we all are facing so how do you see this you know emerging shape of the systems well so i think uh, we are all familiar with response of many countries starting with china and then india and many other countries across the world uh, their first response to the covid-19 was to actually create apps which start tracing contacts so they actually created apps which would go onto your mobile phones in order to do a contact tracing and decide whether you are covid positive or you were in contact with a covid positive person or not a uh, lot of people including 
uh, Yuval Noha Harare have written widely about it and criticized this way of invading into an individual's uh, private space and uh, doing surveillance uh, without uh, justification. So I think this is one set of applications which we will see come about post-COVID. Increasingly, there will be, so, so also, I think there has been a lot of explosion of Zoom calls. And I think one of the first things that happened was people discovered that there was Zoom bombing and uh, there was a compromise of uh, the computers of those who joined Zoom calls. And of course, there had to be a huge uproar throughout the world uh, for them to implement some security features and ensure that there would be some level of protection which would be afforded to people who use Zoom and other platforms. So, and I, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, we are going to continue to talk to each other through uh, the Zooms, the WhatsApp, the Skype, the Hangouts, the Meets, uh, and similar platforms. So human interaction is going to be increasingly going to be going along those directions. Yes. Uh, so I am completely with you in terms of recognizing that there are a lot of things that will require and move to the digital. Uh, there will be a lot of technology companies which will be in a hurry to try and find a niche in this digital space. And I think my worry is not so much about the fact that people will, whether we will be able to innovate. I think we have brilliant engineers who are able to invent brilliant technologies. But I think what we need at this time, even more so than before the lockdown and before COVID, is the ability to actually recognize what we should be automating and how and why we should be automating it in the way that we do. So I think those skills are going to be very important to protect people and ensure that they do not expose themselves to high risk. Because essentially, when there is a spurt of innovation without an understanding of the audience and their purposes and of the respect for their, the autonomy of their systems, then you expose yourself to high risk. And therefore, I think it's going to be incredibly important for us to be able to provide uh, all uh, technology companies which want to innovate and want to find a niche to ensure that they don't create exploitative engines that are going to self-destroy or that are going to even worse so destroy the whole economy so if you if you really see one of the reasons why the healthcare system and the hospital system and the disease system as you call it have failed is because they have nowhere in all their automation and information system 
have actually been able to ensure that they will you know enable people to access health so if there is no automation that we have or even now in the government's first response it has very few governments have actually done something to help people to find an automatic way to access health when when they need it or to access food or to access medicine and especially they need it now because they are locked in in their house they cannot go out so they need to have a supply chain which works and that supply chain which they need to be able to access has not been built so i tried a lot to talk with various postal authorities in different countries including the united states so far i tried to talk with the cio of the us postal services to actually use this as an opportunity to create uh, you know county wise information systems uh, postal systems which will allow local providers to build local supply chains which work only within the county so post covid it will enable build resilience into the county to supply the needs of the local people because today if you really look at the way in which the entire automation has worked is people talk about anywhere anytime from any from anywhere so which means uh, the food required by somebody in texas may be coming from new zealand or somewhere in europe or somewhere in somewhere in uh, latin america and similarly you would find that food in india is also coming from different places it's not local so to be able to have resilience and as we saw right now this resilience is lacking people are not getting access to the food that they need because there is no automation yes there is i i agree with you on that and that especially you know the uh, it is not the number of people that will die because of this pandemic it is the number of people systems because they are collapsing like agriculture and food supply those because of that and the food shortage and you know famine i think millions more are going to die so what you are saying is absolutely making sense that we do need to build resilient systems and the point that you made about uh, uh, the tracking application that is being developed you know to see who is you know coming in touch with what i i think it is uh, a huge overreach and uh, this is a virus this is a particle that is you know in the air that will be in the air it doesn't matter you know who you meet or where you meet even after hours for that you know the virus is going to be there and if you are walking by that place it it is going to infect you if it wants to so the these you know we have to be very cautious in what systems we allow uh in what kind of overreach we allow because it is all about you know uh surveillance and we are we want to be very very careful what applications what systems we let you know in our life because once it gets in hold of it you know on our electronic systems and uh, it starts monitoring us 
there is that surveillance we will never be able to you know stop that and we have to be while we already are under global surveillance in you know many different forms because of patient recognition or because of all these algorithms and the way we do search and you know the many many things you know uh, that we have blindly walked into and accepted but we should be very very careful in how we you know go forward with the next item so i will let you continue but i thought let me interrupt you know here and uh, make my point before uh, i miss that opportunity yeah so you're absolutely right i think uh, you know in some sense our innovative engineers don't recognize the difference between building an exploitative system and a symbiotic one they don't recognize that by actually building something like this contact tracing app you are creating an exploitative system and you are actually building risk into the system because any signal which is a false signal anywhere in this entire a network of individuals carrying the contact tracing app is going to be amplified every time the phone comes into contact with other phones so you have you will lose the ability to know what is fake signals and what are real signals so you, you must have uh, followed through that there was a german hacker who actually took uh, 100 cell phones and uh, dragged them along on a trolley cart on a german bridge and google maps thought that you know there were a lot of cars there moving very slowly and it thought there was a traffic jam so it redirected all people who were using google maps through different roads for a whole day so now imagine that in a similar way if somebody actually has a wrong signal of being covid positive or covid negative on one phone it will get amplified here by other phones because other phones are seeking that signal and then they are transmitting it to others who come in contact with those phones so it is an amplification so it's much worse than the google map scenario so when our app developers fail to recognize the kind of risk they build into this kind of a surveillance system yes. i think it becomes absurd yes. so i think it's very very important now uh, to create this layer of understanding of really helping them to see uh, you know what is the nature of risks yes absolutely i completely agree with you but the democratization of innovation that the cyberspace has provided that gives freedom to everyone to do whatever they want to do whatever they want to innovate you know irrespective of whether whether their innovation is constructive or destructive so while you know these most of these application developers they are not coming with the agenda that i want to destroy you know uh, certain things or i want to potentially you know build something that is risky and you know destroy humanity they are not trying to do that but lot of them you know are ignorant like you said you know about understanding the risk you know they don't focus on understanding what are the embedded risk if they are not paying attention to the whole flow and the map of mapping of the system that of that they are developing and they understanding where the risk could emerge and how to you know bring security 
to those you know to the system that they are developing so yes there is absolutely need for that to uh, have a better understanding but as we have you know over the years watched that all the systems that we have developed across nations competition and struggle are normal elements of survival and paradigm of the capitalist system uh, that you know most nations follow however if we look at the evidence for interaction and interconnection and interdependence within and between ngio like we say you know nations government industries organizations and academia in any capitalist capitalist system closely we find that everywhere and there is a vital need to take uh, as a result there is a vital need to take a more balanced view of this global reality and understanding that the emerging trend in the evolution cycle that is from capitalism to conscious capitalism to you know mutualistic symbiosis that we both are hoping for uh, that would require a very different you know uh, journey where that would require a very different approach and as this you know uh, as we try to acknowledge the mutual support and cooperation of ngio is as necessary as considering the reality that effect of every action within and across cyberspace aquaspace geospace and space boundaries will not only determine the state of you know the nation but the very nature of the future of the human species so from not caring about the impact of any action to being caring and aware and understanding the interconnected and interdependencies and the need for mutualistic symbiosis it is you know it requires a very different mindset and we need to reach that desired end point to reach that desired end point requires social behavioral or cultural evolution which is very very difficult to you know achieve cultural evolution is probably the most difficult to achieve so how to go forward with that because yes in theory we can define all this thing i in every risk round up i promote this in i am sure in every of your uh you know writing or in speeches you also do that but that is not going to change the culture to be able to convince others you know to convince innovators to convince designers or to convince you know to nations broadly you know that we need to move the, towards this path it requires a huge cultural evolution how would we do that Yes, I think you asked a very difficult question. Uh, I don't think civilizations are designed or redesigned overnight. They evolve over time. Uh, I think it would be wrong to assume that the civilization that has existed prior to the lockdown is perfect and is the system that is going to continue to exist for all the future that we know i think we have to be cognizant of the fact that this has to this will change and especially if we look at man made systems they are the ones that we are in control of and i think if we are not able to recognize the flaws in the design of the existing system and gradually eliminate these flaws we are not going to be able to move towards new designs 
because these are designs of our creation. They are not designs which nature created. So our health system, our financial system, our food system, our energy systems, they are our creation. And I think fundamentally, if I were to explain a few things which are common to, our, to the designs of all of these, they are all currently designed, as you rightly pointed out, through a market-driven system, which is the fundamental of every capitalistic society, where it believes in demand and supply, and it believes that I need to create more demand and in order to ensure that I grow in my revenues and my profit. And I think this is fundamentally the characteristic of exploitation because there is no way that I'm going to grow in my revenue and my profit unless I grow in my demand. And unless there is an increased demand, if there is an increased demand, I'm obviously going to take away more resources from whomever I'm supplying to. So therefore I am going to exploit even more. And somehow we have failed to recognize that this is an exploitative engine. It's not an engine which is symbiotic. It doesn't give back what it takes. It is not a recycling economy. It is actually an exploitative economy which takes away more than it gives. Or it takes away something and it doesn't give that back. So it's extremely important that we recognize that this is basically one of the key factors which creates huge risk, especially when we automate it to do even more transactions per minute or per day or per week or per quarter. So the faster and faster we make this move, the closer we get to making it unsustainable and the closer we get to destroying its resilience. So if we were to look at creating resilient systems, we need to ensure that the complexity that we put in is something that we really understand. Right now, I think the complex systems that we are designing, largely because automation allows us to couple systems which were not meant to be coupled. So what happens is that, for example, we say that our financial system can now be coupled with our health system. It can now be coupled with our food system. It can now be coupled with our employment system. Should it be? Is it necessary that all of these systems should be coupled together? Because the minute one of them has a problem in terms of uh, stability or resilience, the rest of them are going to have a problem. But they are so, all interconnected, aren't they? So even if we purposely don't try to couple them, by nature and by the laws, like it is going to couple, you know, it's because everything is interconnected. So how do we prevent that? Well, so everything is not interconnected in the same way. So for to give you a very simple uh, example, as I told you that, you know, when, when a person who is afflicted goes to a doctor to seek assurance, 
if in the minds of the doctor he is considering how the financial system is operating before actually dealing with the assurance to the afflicted there is no way that he is going to provide that assurance today because we create a dashboard which tells the hospital what its revenues are and how it is doing and you know uh, whether this patient is going to be a, uh, something which is going to pay back or not pay back you suddenly start making decisions which are counter to what your mission is and counter to what your common purpose is so it's important to recognize that fundamentally each system is independent in what purpose it serves yes if i don't have the resources to do something i may not be able to do it but if i can do it without those resources i should be doing it if it's if i'm trapped by saying that look because the financial system is not allowing me to i'm going to take a decision against what i can do but then but, i think but you, you you i understand what you're saying but then the hospitals would say that we are for profit entities and we have to make sure that we get paid for the services we provide it's a you know transaction so we are then you know we have to talk about the and change changing the entire approach to the healthcare or yes. that you know it is not a business or it is not a profit centric model because then you know if you are starting a business you have a right to ask for you know getting paid on the services that you provide so if you are you know uh, treating a patient or if a patient comes to the hospital they would uh, doctors and hospitals would uh, expect that you know they get paid for the services they provide and they have a right to refuse by the laws that we have defined so unless unless we make everything you know a part of the government and government makes it a not for profit initiative then only we can expect that the hospitals you know will provide services to anyone and everyone but uh, we are witnessing so many disasters in those kind of systems i have a, i have a friend who recently you know went through some very challenging time in her uh, health and she lives in canada and the system i mean she is not some a commoner or someone who uh, cannot afford to pay her bills but they their system is they made in such a way the healthcare system that you know it is all medicare like system everybody you know has to go through the same process and what she went through was horrible for weeks you know she was just given you know drugs to sleep and nothing was done no doctor would come down you know to see her for weeks that is not what happens in the for profit you know hospitals we see we get such you know attention within you know uh, hours you know all the tests are done for her the necessary tests were not done for even in uh, in entire week past so then you start evaluating the risk and reward of those systems that do we want to move towards where we all will be treated you know on the whims and you know we have to wait in line for weeks and you know months to even get a test done so that's not what you know the, the people in america would ever vote for because we are all used to efficiency productivity and you know immediate you know attention when we are you know sick and that has model has served well for you know americans because yes we are paying you know very large insurance premium we pay thousands of dollars per you know year but we get the 
focus and attention that we need that we don't see in uh, countries like Canada and you know England and others where there is a centralized you know healthcare system. Well, I you put your finger right on the spot when you said that you know the system works for profit. And I think uh, it's important to recognize that it's not about privatization or deprivatization. Uh, it's important to recognize that whenever we create a governance system, if that governance system is essentially puts as governors people who don't have the same stake or the same purpose as those who they serve, then the system starts failing or it gets corrupted so when I, I hear you i hear you in principle i agree with you but then also we have to think about the you know the bigger problems moving towards that is about our desire to you know work hard to our desire to you know come up with excitement every morning that i want to work hard so i will you know benefit more at the end of the day i will you know make more money for my family if we take away all of those things from the human nature or for the human expectation then you know the we will start becoming a lethargic society that what difference does it make why do i have to work so hard because it doesn't matter whether i work hard or not everybody is going to get paid the same everybody is going to you know benefit the same so what's the point of me you know putting my family down or in working so many hours and you know try hard to innovate and all that and we are seeing in europe you know how the economies have declined so there are bigger questions the capitalism whether if, even though it is you know profit centric and you know it is uh, it comes with its own drawbacks it also provides that incentive and you know it gives ability to anyone who wants to succeed and can overcome all the barriers so Yes, you know, we do need to move towards symbiosis, but we also have to keep in mind that we don't want to take away that purpose and we don't want to take away that, you know, desire to compete and do better and, you know, to achieve the higher goals. We don't want the system and the society to be lethargic and, you know, not care or apathetic that what difference does it make? Why do I have to work so hard now? Those well, are also bigger companies. Well you know, I mean, essentially, what is the purpose of our life? So if we live through our life, then I think, uh, uh, you know, gradually you realize that you don't live your life because you have to earn. You live your life because you want to enjoy music, art, literature, culture, friendship, nature, uh, travel, food. So, you know, all of these things form part of what life really means to us. And our earning is a means to accomplishing all of this. But what and besides our earnings? Who defines how much we earn? So these questions are coming our way as we go towards automation and then government say, okay, let's give universal basic income to everyone. These questions will emerge and are going to emerge that who gets how much, you know, how, who will decide how much is enough for an individual or a family? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. But this, is a, this is what you would ask if we were to talk about the system that we have lived through all our lives, which is a market-driven system where we run society as if it were a market. Everything in our society is a market. 
whether it's education, whether it is friendships, whether it is, you know, uh, going about business, everything has become a market. Uh, so everything is therefore evaluated in terms of demand, supply and cost. Uh, and, you know, uh, the profits that you earn. Whereas if we were to, for a moment, do a thought experiment and imagine, can we actually look at society as something which is not a market? And if we were to look at something which is not scaled to the level our urban societies are scaled today. So if you were to talk about, let's say, a community of thousand individuals who are now living in a small village or a town, uh, do they actually require the kind of systems that we have created for a largely urban world, which has to depend on other parts of the world in order to draw everything that they need to live a life? Because if you really look at it, there is no city in the world, and especially the larger the city, there is no city which is self-reliant and self-sufficient. It really is an engine to draw from outside the resources that it requires in order to sustain the lifestyle of all the people who live in the city. On the other hand, if we were to look at communities of maybe a thousand families, uh, you know, in the, in the early last century, Gandhi used to talk about self-reliant villages. Uh, I don't know whether we can ever talk of self-reliant villages, but if we were to talk about communities which can be built up, which are smaller, and where these communities have to provide for their needs, they may not be able to provide for wants that we have been having prior to the lockdown, but I'm sure they can provide for the needs, and I'm sure they can provide for a fulfilling life uh, if they are not treated as a market, as a commodity. So I think there is this huge paradigm shift that society will need to go through. And I'm, uh, I think this COVID-19 is an opportunity to do these thought experiments. Because I think one thing for sure that it has pointed out is that treating society as a market has caused a lot of failure, caused a lot of pain and tragedy. And it is not a system that is resilient and sustainable. So going forward, if we were to design or redesign the systems that deliver us uh, food, water, energy, uh, our value, and uh, health, then we need to really pay attention and try and work out ways whereby we will recognize that we need to jump out of our existing paradigms. Because the greatest leverage that we have is when we shift our paradigms. Otherwise, if we simply tweak the rules by which we work, we will have the same system. And we will only have different amplitudes and different frequencies at which the problems will happen again and again. So we really need to, uh, you know, find leverage, which is going to completely shift the experience that we get. 
So what is going to be a more humane experience that we can give to everybody? So when we are talking of uh, 7 billion going to 8 billion people, uh, we need to really talk about what is going to be sustainable, resilient, and meaningful. If you look at the amount of earth, amount of land that we have occupied in order to serve our needs, we have left so little space for nature and other species that we actually have now come to the conflict where microorganisms, which prior to this had other hosts, have finally found us as hosts. So if this is not a warning sign to us to tell us that this growth that we have been running after is not sustainable and may actually end up destroying the whole of the human race, then I think nothing will. So I think therefore we really need to reinvent ourselves. We need to look for paradigms which are not going to drive us to more and more growth and increase the kind of risk uh, that is unprecedented and that is unmanageable. That risk is manageable where we have respite, enough of respite uh, in order to deal with it. This pandemic has indicated that there is insufficient respite to even build up health care. So, so I think uh, it, the time has come when we need to uh, really have our leadership uh, talk about different paradigms. We need to have people who will pioneer and discuss and invent new ways of actually interacting and new ways of complementing each other and rewarding the community. And we need to find how we can move away from market signals of demand and supply in order to ensure that we fulfill the needs of our audiences. I hear you. And I think, you know, there is absolutely a need for building resilient, sustainable systems. And I'm confident that uh, collectively, if we put our thoughts, uh, towards how to do that, we will be able to do that and we will be able to protect the future of uh, our species. So thank you so much, Professor Sarah, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on need for symbiosis and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And as a result, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service. We thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So thank you, Professor. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Our ecosystem is the first and only cross-disciplinary and collective community that is made of top scientists, security professionals, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, policymakers, and academic institutions from across nations collaborating to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk to protect the future of humanity. Add your voice to risk groups. Get involved to protect the future of humanity. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.